starting today all the way up until Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, we're starting a new series, Not Your Average King. And you can imagine that when we say king, there's kind of that expectation of here's what a king is like or here's what a king does, here's what a king doesn't do. It was the same thing in Jesus' day. When he claimed to be king, well, they put a bunch of expectations on him. Well, if you're a king, then you should be like this. If you're a king, you should act like this. If you're a king, you should fulfill this. And that started a discussion that Jesus was having with his disciples. Actually, it got kind of tense in a few moments. But the disciples were starting to figure out or wanted to figure out what does it mean to be great? Not just great, but the greatest. Who's the greatest disciple? What does it mean to be a great disciple? What does it mean to be great? So they start having this discussion and this dialogue, and then Jesus steps in and, and starts pointing out some of the obvious. He says, well, look at the world around you. What does everybody else say makes them great? And things that we would probably say if we went around this room and, well, what does great mean to you? And what do you think it takes to achieve greatness? We would all have maybe different qualifications or a definition of what greatness could or should be. So when Jesus said, look around at the world around you, what makes people great? Is it the money that they make and have? Is it the achievements and the success that they have accomplished? Is it their status? Is it their profession? Is it their career? Is it their reputation? Is it their leadership? Is it their authority? There's all these qualifications that around us, the world would say, that's what makes you great. If you want to be great, you have to have these things. So he calls those out, and then he says something very different. Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. Here's what the world says is great. Here's what everybody around us is trying to achieve with greatness. Verse 26, but Jesus' words, not so with you. Say those with me. Say those four words. Not so with you. Now personalize it. Change you to me. Ready? Not so with me. Here's what the world defines as great. Here's what the world says it takes to be or achieve greatness. And Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, meaning the other perspective, the other way to look at it, let's turn this upside down. Instead, whoever wants to become great, there's that word, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And then Jesus personalizes this and says, just as the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, you want to be great? Follow in my footsteps of serving, with a servant's heart. See, Jesus not only models serving, he values it to the point where he says, that's what greatness is. The measure of greatness is in your servant's heart. So I would say, and maybe I can say this, you can disagree and we can talk about it later maybe, it'll be a good, good conversation. But I would say if we want to be like Christ and if you're a believer in the room and you're following Jesus and you've given him your heart, then if you wanna be like Christ, we are most like Christ when we serve because that's why he came. For the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. Maybe one of the most well-known and most memorized Bible verses, John three sixteen. say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's what our God does is he gives and he serves. Throughout the Psalms, you'll see over and over on how our Lord is our helper. And here he shows it by his one and only son, Jesus, who came to serve as an example. But then says, but that's what we're called to do. We're most like Christ when we serve. Now, that idea of serving has a lot of connotations around it. There's a lot of ideas of what 
what that means and what it doesn't mean and am I serving, am I not serving, well, when do I serve and how do I serve? We're gonna get to all those questions. But what I would say is I need to give a disclaimer here because when a pastor on a Sunday morning at church talks about serving, the assumption is he's gonna ask us all to volunteer and serve at church on Sunday. (laughs) I see where your heads are at. So let me help you understand that's not the case. Right? This is not a guilt trip into, so how many of you serve on Sunday morning? Well, if you want to be like Christ, you will. <laughs> not where we're going here. For most like Christ, when we're serving, we're talking about the heart. We're talking about the heart, and yes, as a servant, we're going to talk about what that means to truly serve one another way outside. Don't limit it to these walls and what happens on a Sunday morning at 8, 15, 9, 30, and 11 o'clock. Don't limit that. In fact, Mother Teresa, known for serving other people, When she won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979, she gave her speech, beautiful speech. I'm going to paraphrase a section of it for us. She started to turn the corner because, of course, we all would look at Mother Teresa and say, we would never, we could never be like her. Oh, but I'm so glad that there was a Mother Teresa in the world. And she felt that. And so she turned her speech around to start to say, but if you want to promote world peace, And I would say that to us, if we want to promote world peace, something that seems beyond our capabilities, you know what she told us to do? This is my paraphrase. Go home and love your family first. That's what she said. If you want to change the world, she said, start in your home and then to the people around you and to the country around you and then the world around you. And that sounds off a whole lot like what Jesus said in Acts 1, wasn't it? (laughs) Start here and then start going out and out and out. And so she gave us that same concept following Jesus' footsteps and serving, I would say starts in our home with your family and then you start to see it go out from there. So don't limit serving to this morning. Please don't hear that. That's part of it, but that is not it. So here's what I'd have us do. This morning, here's the prayer. And I hope you'll pray that not just this morning, but through this entire series as we look at the qualities of Jesus that make him a not-so-average king. Humility, love, and sacrifice. So a servant... A servant's heart would pray a prayer something like this. Lord, help me to be ready and willing to serve. You gotta have the ready and the willing because a servant is open-handed. Whatever you say, Jesus, wherever you send me, Jesus, whatever you need me to do, Jesus, I'm there. So Lord, help me to be ready and willing to serve and the courage to follow through with joy. Do you understand why that part's important? (laughs) You ever seen somebody serve without joy? Oh yeah, like they're serving, but not with joy. And I wish they just wouldn't serve because it's really weird and awkward right now. It's me telling my three kids, we're going to go serve as a family. And then we go serve as a family like this. Yeah, that's really fun. That's great. The heart of Jesus is in my children at that moment. It's great. No, so help me to be ready and willing to serve. Give me the courage. Help me to have the courage to follow through, to actually do it with joy. But then to have the eyes open and say, but help me see how you want me to serve. That's what I want you to be asking Jesus. That's where I want you to wrestle this morning and up until Easter is help me to see it. Where do you want me to serve? Who do you want me to serve? How do you want me to serve? So let's pray that right now. Let's go to him. Jesus, thank you so much for being the example of serving. You are the ultimate servant with the ultimate servant's heart because you gave your life for me. So Jesus, as we follow in your footsteps, as we study your life, especially leading up into Easter, God, that's our prayer, that you would help us to be ready and willing to serve, 
that you would give us through your Holy Spirit the courage to follow through with what you call us to do with joy. And that we would see, you would show us, but we would see how you want us to serve in each and every moment of each and every day. Help us to hear your call. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at a story. If you've got your Bible, head over to John chapter 2. An incredible story on serving, but a little spoiler alert, it's not Jesus that is serving in this story, but we're going to see the importance of serving and how Jesus still pushes that idea forward of being most like him, most like Christ when we serve. Some of you are going to be familiar with this story. In fact, it's Jesus' very first miracle. What was it? Do you know he turned water into wine? You know the story? I don't even have to preach it. This is great. Awesome. <laughs> Enough said. No, there's a few things that maybe you've noticed, maybe you haven't noticed, but I'm hoping we can look at this story through a little bit of a different lens, or at least, like I said, highlight a few key parts. Here's the story, his very first miracle early on in his ministry, John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Verse 4, woman, said not with any disrespect, just so we're all clear. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. There is so much comedy in that first five verses that you don't want to miss it. So it starts out, Jesus is just invited. He is not there with an agenda. He's not there because he was asked to do anything. His mother Mary is there just because they're either family or friends. The disciples are there, again, just to participate and, and to observe, to be invited and be part of this wedding. And then you see something happen. They run out of wine, so there is a problem. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, just like all good moms do, is they notice the problem and they immediately insert themselves into the problem. They say, there's a problem. It's not my wedding and it's not my problem, but we have a big problem. They're out of wine. We have to do something. And she has such a great heart. She wants to help. So she turns to Jesus, the son of God, who obviously can help, and says, Jesus, they're out of wine. Do something. And Jesus, he gives a very respectful response, but what he's basically saying is, it's not a good time for me right now. Like, not, no thanks. Like, it's their problem, not my problem. Why are we involved with this at all? Like, I've got a different agenda for later. This has nothing to do with it. And then his mom, like so many moms do, bypass her sons, the son of God, Messiah, and king's response looks directly at the servants and just say, well, just do whatever he tells you to do. He's gonna listen to me in the end, so just go ahead and know. You'll do what I tell you to do. And I would have loved to have seen Jesus' face at that moment. Like, was it a, yeah, I saw that coming, or it, was it even a little bit of an act of submission of like, I obey my heavenly father and my earthly mother? There's some wisdom there. <laughs> but pay attention, because something happens here outside of just the funny parts of the story, we see three words emerge that we use interchangeably that I would caution us to use interchangeably. Here they are. Helping, fixing, serving. Helping. Understand the differences there. Now, I'm not judging the hearts on these. It's good to help. It's good to fix. It's obviously good to serve. But if we use them interchangeably, I think we can get into a dangerous place because we might think we're serving when in reality we're just helping. We might think we have a servant's heart, but in reality, we're just trying to fix. So let's understand the differences. Helping says, I have something you don't. You have a need that I can meet. I'm strong, you're weak. 
you need my help. So as a helper, I help because you need me to help, okay? Not necessarily a bad thing. Let's just understand the, the heart posture there. Fixing, a fixer would say, there's a problem, something's broken, and I have the solution. I'm fixing what is or who is broken. So I can offer something to the table. If you listen to me, your problems would go away. That's the fixer. I fix because something is broken. Now let's put some names to that. Mary, the mother. You could just put mom in there. It doesn't matter which mom it is. Moms, you're helpers, aren't you? That's not a bad thing. You see a problem and you want to help. You say, we need to do something. And everybody around you is like, but it's not your problem. But it doesn't matter. I want to help. Right? So Mary is the helper. She sees a problem. And helpers are so good at this next part because they have such the heart. They have the biggest heart in the world and they want to help, but they don't always know how to help and they don't know what to do, so they look for a fixer. So the helper now looks over to the fixer and says, fixer, fix it. You can do something. Please do something. And usually the fixers are like, I don't know. It's not a good time for me right now, but you have to do something. So Mary, we see as the helper. Jesus, obviously the fixer. He physically, miraculously can, and as we're going to obviously see, will do something to fix the problem. But what about the servant? Helping, fixing, serving. The helper says, I help because you need me. The fixer says, I fix because something's broken. The servant says, I serve because I'm a servant. It's who I am. It's my identity. It's my heart. It's who my king is, and it's who I am striving to be. So it's, I'm serving just because that's who I am. It's not so much what I do, but it's who I am. And so if you look at that, the last part of this, which I love how a servant is talked to here. His mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. That's what a servant does. That was our prayer, right? Whatever you want, Jesus, wherever you lead me, wherever you go, whatever you tell me to do, well, that's what I'm going to do. That's where I'm going to go. That's what I'm going to say. That's who I will be because that's who you're calling me to be. So be looking because the rest of the story is about the servants, not the helper, not the fixer. It's about the servants. So here's what happens next with these servants. So right after Jesus' mother Mary says, do whatever he tells you to do, verse 6, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Those are big water jars. Verse 7, Jesus says to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Now hold up there for a second. We need to do some math. So six water jars holding up to 30 gallons. How many gallons is that total? One hundred and Good job, much faster than the other two services. I'm impressed. 180 gallons, give or take, right? So anybody know how much a gallon of water weighs in pounds? Yeah, a little over eight pounds, 8.34 if you want to know exactly. So you take that, you take about eight pounds, you multiply it by the 180. We're talking about 1,500 pounds of water. Jesus just flippantly says, hey, can you fill up these jugs of water? Basically move 1,500 pounds. Excuse me? What? <laughs> that wasn't on my job description when I, when I said I was going to serve at this wedding, Jesus. That has nothing to do with what I was supposed to do. I mean, put yourselves, if you can, in those servant shoes for a moment. And Jesus comes to you, after Mama told him to come to you, says, I need you to fill up these six jars full of water. Move 1,500 pounds of water. What is going through your mind? If I'm them, I'm thinking, why me? 
Like, this isn't part of my job. I'm here to serve the guests of this wedding, not fill up some jars that you think you can do something with. That's, that's not my problem, Jesus. I could be doing something so much more important. There's people that need to be waited on. There's guests that I need to take care of and serve. I don't need to be wasting my time filling up these water jars right now. Jesus, somebody else could easily do this. Your mom, her idea, she's not doing anything. Why can't you ask her to help out? Your disciples, the so-called followers of you, ask them to do it. Why do we have to do this? Jesus, I tell you what, instead of all six, how about I give you like three? That seems like plenty, right? Six jars full of water seems a little excessive, so how about we compromise somewhere in there? You gotta be thinking, why in the world? This isn't gonna help the problem. This doesn't solve anything. This doesn't fix anything. Why are we filling up these jugs of water? Why? Why are we filling them up? This isn't doing any good. This isn't making a difference. We could be doing something else with our time. I could be spend, spending my effort somewhere else that might actually make a difference. This is doing nothing. Filling jars is insignificant. So often, when we hear God leading us to serve in a way, we step back because it seems or feels insignificant. Let me say this to you. The significance of serving is not in what you do, but who you are serving. It was significant, not because they were jars of water. What these servants did was significant because of who asked them to fill up these jars of water, because it was the king that said fill up these jars. It was Jesus that said fill up these jars. It had nothing to do with the jars that made what they did significant. It was the who. So maybe you're wrestling with, well, what is God calling me to do, and where is he calling me to serve? Don't make it about the what. Always make it about the who. And if you're filling up water jars, great. Help me to be ready and willing to serve and the courage to follow through with joy. Jesus, show me where you want me to serve, even if it's filling up water jars. So here's what happens next. They fill up these water jars. And do you remember how, how much did they fill them up? To the what? You remember? Brim. To the brim. Big deal. That's a big deal because a servant doesn't need to be told to fill it all the way up. The servant doesn't need to be told. Nowhere in here does Jesus says, make sure to fill it all the way to the top, please. Top it off. No, these servants had a servant's heart where they did what they knew was right without being told the specifics. Jesus said, fill up these six jars, and they said, you got it all the way to the top. It wasn't halfway. It wasn't almost there. They went to the brim without Jesus telling them to the brim. So here's what happens next. Verse 8. Then he told them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. That's a risky thing for them to do. Up until this point, no risk. It feels insignificant. We're just filling up water jars. But now they have to take some out and give it to the master of the banquet? This is where, as a servant, my mind is reeling, well, what if? What if this water that I put in here doesn't turn into wine when I give it to him? <laughs> what happens if this water that supposedly is now wine tastes terrible and I give it to the master? There's a whole lot of what-if scenarios. Up until this point, the servants haven't really risked anything. Now Jesus says, take it the next step. It wasn't Jesus that took it to the master of the banquet. It wasn't any other of the guests that took it to the master of the banquet. It was the servants who would be held accountable if it didn't work out well. So the results are, are, have to be making them a little nervous because it's outside of their control, isn't it? I can fill water jars. I can't make that wine. So here's these servants that did what they could do in serving, but now they've got to step out in faith for what Jesus is calling them to do next. But they did it. Last part of verse eight. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Don't miss this next part. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. 
Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. That middle part is the big piece. No one realized what had happened except who? The servants. That's it. The master of the banquet didn't know. The other guests didn't know. The bridal party didn't know. The only people that knew the miracle that had just taken place were Jesus, the servants, and the disciples who just watched. And we'll see that in here in just a second. They're the ones that saw this miracle happen. That blows my mind. That the king didn't take credit for it. He let a miracle happen through these servants. And it makes me wonder of all the miracles that I pray for, and all the miracles that I'm hoping for, and all the miracles that I want to see happen. Maybe they're happening, I'm just not seeing it because I'm not in a position to see it. The servants were in a position to see Jesus do something miraculous, to change something incredible, for it to be his very first miracle of his ministry. And the only ones that saw it were the servants. When we serve, we get put on the front lines of the miracles of God. When we serve, we get to witness and even be part of that life change thing you hear us talk about all the time. We get to see that. We get to be part of that. You see our volunteers, they wear life changer shirts. You see them walking around with it. It's not because they themselves are Jesus changing lives. It's because we recognize that Jesus chooses to change lives through us and in us. It's a privilege to be on that front line of watching what Jesus does. But nobody saw it. Nobody noticed it. Nobody recognized it. Nobody was aware of it except the servants. Last verse, verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Their disciples, his disciples believed in him. Because of this miracle, two things happened. People's lives changed. This wasn't just about saving the party. It was about people starting to put their faith in him. People changed because of this miracle. Not just water changed because of this miracle. And his glory was realized. His glory was revealed. His glory was shown. So what I would tell us is we're wrestling with what does it mean to be a servant and to have a servant's heart? Well, it starts there. We serve with this reason, with this intent. If you go back, remember we said humility, love, and sacrifice are summed up this way based on this verse 11. We serve for his glory and the good of others. Those are checkpoints. Those are filters to walk through. Is this first for his glory or my glory? Is this for his glory or for, is it for his reputation or my reputation? His fame or my fame? For his status to be increased or for my status to be elevated? It is for only, always and only his glory. But for the good of others too. And these servants got to be part of that because of their willing hands to do nothing but the insignificant job of filling up water jars, they got to allow Jesus' glory to be revealed and for people's faith to, become, to go into him because they filled up water jars. Remember what made that significant? Not what, but who. So when we serve, it's with that heart posture, humility, love, and sacrifice seen through his glory and the benefit and the good of others. The other thing that we see in here. It's a pretty simple but maybe profound statement for you. We are all called to serve. So often we mix that word calling up where it's like, well, I'm not really called to serve right now. I'm not called to do that right now. You are. Let me just clear it for you. We all are. Like there's nothing to wait on. It's not like a come of age thing. It's not I have to be a Christian for so long. It's just if you're going to be like Jesus, you're called to serve. Remember, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. So you and I should be saying the same thing. We want to be like him. Galatians says it a little bit different. Let me read out of Galatians chapter five. 
You, my brothers and sisters, talking to the early church, were called to be free. We talked a lot about that this last month, the freedom that we have in Christ. We were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, in other words, do this instead, serve one another humbly in love. So if you are a believer in Jesus and you want to be more like him through serving, then guess what? We are all called to serve one another humbly in love. Go back to Mary's famous words. Do whatever he tells you to do. (laughs) That's that open hand, right? Obedience is a form of serving. Whatever he tells you to do, okay, Jesus. Helping, of course. Fixing, of course. But don't mix the two up. Serving is, I'm a servant. Serving is, well, Jesus served, so I then serve. So if we're all called to serve, we can clear that up. We don't need to spend a lot of time on that one. We do need to figure out, well, how and who and when and where and all of those other questions so we can make this a little bit more tangible, right? So there's, there's a ton of ways that you can do that. And I'm not gonna stand up here and give you an exhaustive list of here's all the ways that you should be serving. That's why I want you to pray that prayer. Help me to be ready and willing to serve, the courage to follow through with joy and help me to see where you want me to serve, Jesus. Let that be between you and the Lord, but if I can remind you of what Mother Teresa said, said, may it begin in your family. May it start there. And out of the overflow of what is happening as you serve your family, then allow God to continue to use you in other areas, just like she suggested, just like we, we see in Scripture. What would happen if you asked yourself this question? What can I do for my family today? Not what do they need from me. Not what are they doing wrong that they need me to fix. What can I do for my family, period, today? What would you do today if you were to answer that? What would you say that about your friends, your extended family? That includes in-laws, by the way. (laughs) What about your enemies? What about your church? What about your community? What about the communities that you'll never step foot in? How do we serve them? Not just how can we help, How can we fix? Because I'm a servant, how can I serve? Jesus, how do you call me to serve? So you have to wrestle with that. But I would be cautious of giving all the excuses. Same thing the servants could have thought. Well, not right now. I'm a little busy. We serve because we're servants after Jesus. If you've ever played ping pong before, which hopefully you have, if not, you are a deprived child. Let's talk afterwards and I'll at least introduce you to it. So you know how it's played. You get somebody across the table from you, you have a ping pong table, each of you have a paddle, and then there's at least two people that are playing. And the game is started by a simple motion. You know where I'm going with this. What do you have to do first? You have to serve. serve. That's right. So imagine playing the game without someone serving first. I'm ready. Are you ready? Ready. You got everything you need? Yes. Are you good? Yes. Let's go. Right? It's ridiculous. It takes a simple motion, a simple action that gets it going back and forth, where then you serve, and now we have a volley that can go back and forth, and they hit the ball back to you, and then you hit the ball back to them. Now the game can be played, but it is reliant on the first motion, which is serving the ball. I say that because I want to ask a question. I don't have the answer to this question. What if, what if the servants that were asked to fill up the jars, what if they said no? What if Jesus said, I need you to fill up these six jars of water? And what if the servant said, 
ah, now's not a good time for me. It doesn't work with my schedule. Can you find somebody else? I don't really want to. I don't know how to. Jesus is like, it's just filling up water, guys. <laughs> Let me pray about it first. Let me think about it a little bit longer. Can I get back to you later on? Now, what exactly are you asking? Because I don't know if I can do all of that right now. We've got every, every excuse in the book we could go through, but what if the servant said no? Respectfully, thanks, but no thanks. I've got something else I need to do. It's not my job right now. I'm sure somebody else can help you. Would the miracle have happened? I don't know. I wonder what things we're praying for, we're asking for, the miracles we're hoping to see in our family and in our community, in our broken world, and you name it. And I wonder if Jesus is waiting for some servants to just start filling up water jars. To serve first. And you might be thinking, well, I don't know how serving is going to fix this problem. Not the job of the servant. That's the job of the fixer. Well, I don't know how me serving right now is really helping anybody. That's the helper talking. The servant says, whatever you want, Jesus. Wherever you want me to go. Whatever you want me to do. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know how this result is going to happen. I don't see what this has anything to do with the problems that I see or what I'm feeling. We serve because we're servants. So would you be willing to serve first? We love because Christ first loved us, we're told. So that means the ball's in our court. It's back to you. What are you gonna do with it? Serve your family first. Start there. Then look to your friends, other family, Look to your community, your church, your neighbors, the places you may never go. But a servant says, help me to be ready and willing, however you want to call me to serve. Give me the courage to follow through with joy. Help me to see how you want me to serve today. On your way out, which those of you that know me, you're not going to be shocked by this at all, I'm going to give you a ping pong ball <laughs> to be a reminder that the ball's in your court. And maybe a miracle is waiting down the road. I'm not promising that. I'm saying Maybe but maybe it's just waiting on us to not help, to not fix, just to serve and to let Jesus do the miracles. He's much better at that than we are. May we be servants, but may we first trust. See, I give a lot of credit to the servants because in order for them to serve Jesus and to fill up these water jars, you know what they had to do first? Trust Jesus to do what he was asking them to do. So may you first trust in Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. And then live your life serving him. Live your life trying to be like him. But if you've not trusted him yet, you start there. And once you say yes to him, then your life is the life of a servant. We serve because we're servants. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you so much for the example that you have given us to love others the way that you loved us, to forgive others the way that you have forgiven us, to serve others the way that you have served us. So Jesus, that's our prayer. First and foremost, that we would trust you. And I pray that if there's anybody in this room that is yet to trust in you with all their heart, may they do so right now. No more excuses, no more waiting, no more delays. 
But we say, Jesus, I do need you. I do need your help. I am broken. I need you to fix me. And Jesus, I want to live the rest of my life serving you because you are my king. And I will always be your servant. May you help us to see the areas that you're calling us to serve, to walk through our lives with servant eyes, with a servant heart, looking for ways that you would call us to serve. Starting with our family, the people closest to us, your church, the places we live, the places we work, the people we interact with, the strangers we pass by. Help us to be you everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen.